Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. In our message today, as we finish out Acts chapter 15, if you want to go ahead and turn there, is going to be a reminder then of how we're to treat one another within the family of Christ. And there's some specifics there about how we are to consider one another in terms of how we live our lives, in terms of how we treat one another. And even as I think back over the last several Sundays, you know, we've been blessed to be able to be a part of people's lives in various ways as I think of the number of individuals that we've been able to bring up here and pray for, whether we're sending them on because a job has moved them whether we're praying for the Lord's blessing upon them because their parents seeking to do right by the Lord and raise up their children in the fear of God. Maybe it's illness that has struck a family and we get the opportunity to lay hands on them. That's something special. And certainly as I reflected on the the past several Sundays, we've had some unique opportunity to be involved in people's lives in a way that maybe we aren't always given such an opportunity. And so I pray that today we'd continue to take what the Word has for us here because at face value, at first glance, if you will, You know, we can read some of the things that the leaders of the church in Jerusalem asked of these Gentile believers, and we can look at it and we can think, well, boy, that's kind of funny. You know, what are these specific requirements? What are these things that they're asking them to do? But if we really look and understand the heart behind what was being accomplished here in the church at this time, I think we'll see that there's an encouragement to us, an exhortation even, for how we're to consider one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord, how we're to walk alongside one another, to build one another up, in the faith. And so, again, we'll be in Acts chapter 15 this morning. If you would, just agree with me in prayer as we go to His Word. Father, we pause this morning. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for our time that we can gather here together this morning, Lord. And it's already been sweet. And for us, it's been a time of sweet fellowship already as we've been able to sing to You, Lord, from our hearts. And I pray that the words that we've sung this morning would be our reality here today that it would be the cry of each and every heart in this room, Lord, that that we would be surrendered to you, that we would truly, in the depths of our being, Lord, know and trust and believe that you are a good Father, that you are awesome in every way, and that no matter what we're facing, Lord, we have hope in you. That is a truth that's proclaimed within the Word of God here today. And Father, I pray that there would be a sense here today of the family that we have here, of the love that we can have one to another. Lord, that you would do that work in us through the power of your Spirit. Give us love towards one another. Help this to be something that is special here, Lord, different, Lord, than what we experience out in the world. Father, that this would be a place of refuge, that this would be a a safe place, Lord, where we can build one another up and experience something that you've designed and created. As Father, bless our study here this morning and speak to us, Lord. I pray, myself included, may it not be my meager words, Lord, that are heard here today, but you, Father. So, Father, use your word to speak to us this morning, we pray, through the power of your Spirit, and in Jesus' name, amen. So, Acts chapter 15, verse 18, we'll pick back up. And if you recall, what was happening here was there was some Jewish believers who had traveled a great distance to go to Antioch, and they went there really to bring these Gentile believers back under the law. And we read in verse 18, "...known to God from eternity are all His works." Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues, 
every Sabbath. You see, the Christian church as a whole was still young at this point, especially amongst the Gentiles. And if you recall last week, after a period of time following the conversion of the Gentiles in Antioch, some under the leadership of James even, James who was overseer of the church in Jerusalem, they came to the area of Antioch and Galatia to make an attempt to bring these Gentiles back under the law. They wanted them to come under the law. And we know that their desire to bring these Gentile believers under the law was not rooted in their own perfect obedience to the law. It wasn't because they had done it and they thought, well, we did it, so you should be able to do it. Yes, they were attempting to follow the law, but they were not doing so perfectly. None were able to keep it. And we know that it was not the law that justified them. It wasn't the law that justified them. It was their belief in Jesus Christ. Amen? It was their belief in Jesus Christ that justified them. And in fact, the law itself was a curse. And all those under the law cursed. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14 says this, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen. In essence, the law is a curse, and all those who are under the law are cursed, because if salvation is dependent on you keeping the law, then you will fail. We will fail. We can't do it. It cannot happen in and of ourselves. It's through Jesus Christ and Him alone. So why then would these believers want to bring the Gentile believers under the law of Moses and have them circumcised? Why would they have wanted that for them? Well, a big part of it was because of, of change, because of something new, of something different that they couldn't quite wrap their mind around or their heart around. It was because of their tradition and their preferences. And it was also because of their own convictions. It was difficult for them to accept that these pagans, as they thought of them as, would now share in their heavenly inheritance. When they hadn't come through the law of Moses, when they hadn't been circumcised, it was difficult for them to comprehend that. They thought them unclean. These Gentile believers weren't following the dietary laws. They were not following the social laws. Could belief in Jesus Christ and redemption through his blood really make them clean? Yes. In short, yes. It absolutely could. And this is what they were struggling to grapple with. The magnitude of the power of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Remember the vision that Peter had as he was lodging with Simon the Tanner and, and bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. What I have made unclean, do not call common, God had said. Christian, do you know today that your belief in Jesus Christ, his body broken, his blood shed, that through belief in that, that you are forgiven and made clean? Do we remember that on a daily basis? That there is nothing more that we need do. And I want to speak to those today who maybe are here and, and you're striving in such a way as to try and clean yourself, to make up for your past. 
If you are living in less spiritual blessing than what God intends for you because you think you're unclean, because perhaps there's something about you or your past that's just unforgivable. And so your actions are lending themselves to trying to make it right, to do your penance, to figure out how you can make up this gap or this void that exists in your life. Well, then you're believing a lie and you're striving after something that you will never be able to accomplish. There's nothing you can do. It's through your faith that you are justified. It's surrendering, recognizing, believing that the work that Jesus Christ accomplished upon the cross for you is enough. For it is. You don't need to do anything other than repent and believe. There's no formal process, no ritual required, no need to keep the law. Just repentance. Repentance of your ways and surrender to Jesus Christ. So then, as they're considering this, as these leaders in Jerusalem and the apostles that are there, these Jewish believers are wrestling with, well, what do we do? Because there was clearly a desire on the part of the Jewish believers to address this situation. They didn't like that these Gentile believers weren't coming under certain aspects of the law. And so here's this controversy as Luke, the, the writer of the book of Acts, says that it was no small dissension. He says this was significant. They were really working through this, trying to figure out what was going on, how they could deal with it. Did they just say, well, you know, how about everybody just sort of knock it off? You've got liberty in Christ. Just go ahead and do what it is that you want to do. No, of course not. They didn't say, well, just go ahead and figure it out. They sought the leading of the Spirit. They looked to His Word, and they came to a conclusion that would be balanced that would be balanced and wouldn't be a burden to the Gentile believers. So you might ask, why was it that they had to do anything at all then? Knowing what we know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace that comes with that, knowing what we know about being a believer and not being under the law, why was it that, as we'll see here and as we already read, that they came to the conclusion that there were some things that they would ask of these Gentile believers? Why did they put anything on them at all? Well, as we read in verse 21, it said, For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And so essentially in every place there were Jewish believers. And so in light of that, it was appropriate for them to be sensitive to their convictions and beliefs as well. What this was, was a family of believers understanding that each and every individual had preferences and convictions. And though some of those may not have been truly rooted within the Word of God in terms of these things must be done, there should be a sensitivity there to how the Holy Spirit so speaks to each individual. And we, as a family of believers, should be sensitive to that. In the same way today, there's convictions that each of us have in our own lives. Some are clearly established within the Word of God, and therefore they should be lived by. Whether you like it or not, Relationships outside of marriage is fornication, and thereby sin. Plain and simple. Try as you might to defend it, to suggest that it's no longer culturally relevant, it's too prohibitive, your efforts are foolish and you're justifying sin. Plain and simple. And if you want to debate that, we can take you to the Word and we can show you what it says. Right? Now, on the other hand, some of you may be inclined to have a glass of wine every now and then, for example. Okay? Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, all right, give me that liberty to do that. I like that in my life. And some of you are already uncomfortable with the fact that I brought it up. 
Case in point, we each have convictions. Now, if you're one of those individuals who says, you know, I like to have a glass of wine every now and then, well, I can say that not being in a leadership position, not being given to drunkenness of any kind, I can tell you that, well, yeah, by the word, it's not wrong for you to have a glass of wine. There's nowhere in the word that I can see that says that you are in sin by having that glass. Mind you, glass, not bottle, but glass of wine. It's justified. You have liberty in Christ to have that glass of wine. It is within your liberty as a believer to do that. And again, I can't tell you otherwise. Now, what I can tell you is that it says not to be given to drunkenness. There are specifics around those of you that may be in leadership roles that you need to be above reproach, and so you're not to be given to that. Okay, we could go down that path all day long. So I bring up one of those things that is so common within the church because some people are comfortable, some people aren't. Because there are some of you then here, on the other hand, that you're very convicted in this area. So convicted, in fact, that you, even being around it, can become very uncomfortable. And maybe you came out of a history of alcoholism, yourself recovered, or perhaps a, you know, a family member that you dealt with this. And so you, you borderline hate it. You despise it. And you know what? You're not wrong either. And what the Word of God here is doing, what we see happening with Acts is a reminder to us not to let our liberty in Christ get in the way of our love towards one another. While we share different convictions, we should consider those convictions in our fellowship with one another. It's a reminder to be sensitive, to care for one another, to be in tune with your brothers and sisters enough that you know what they struggle with, what they're convicted on, and to be mindful of that in your interactions with them. And so in this same vein of thought, the consideration that the leaders of Jerusalem had is what produced this letter that would be given to the Gentile believers. The apostles thought it good, the word says, to write to these Gentile believers, not laying on them any significant burden, as it says, but a few things that should be kept in consideration so that they did not cause their Jewish brethren to stumble. That's what these were developed for. And so in verse 22, we see, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And so these were influential men. These were men that had been identified to go out and to accomplish things within the church. And we'll see Silas in particular after this will go on a missionary journey with Paul. And they wrote this letter by them, verse 23, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. First here, they recognized how unsettling it was to be told that they must do something to contribute to their own salvation. He said they knew that it was unsettling to their souls. Here were these Gentile believers that were likely so on fire for the Lord, loving the fact that they were growing in their faith, and all of a sudden here comes this law upon them, essentially, that says, wait a second, you need to commit to this, you need to come under the law, and and it suggested to them that everything that they had believed to this point and their conversion to Jesus Christ was somehow incomplete, and now they had to do something to contribute to it. And so these leaders here, they assured the believers that such a commandment did not come 
from them and that they understood how it was that it made them feel. And they said in verse 25, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. And so this was important enough for them to not just send a letter, but to say, we're sending people along with the letter. People who are both credible, who can support this message and convey to you that we are behind this. Credible individuals to reassure these new believers of what was expected and desired. They sent them to encourage them in their faith, to build them up, and to defend the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what was so important here, was that grace would have been lost if they were to bring them back under the law. And so they wanted to be sure that this message would be heard and received. For it seemed good, verse 28, to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So, as we see here, what they asked of them, they said, listen, you don't need to be under the law of Moses. You don't need to be circumcised. That commandment did not come from us, and we are not trying to put back on you the yoke of bondage that was on us before Jesus Christ came to redeem us from it. But they said, we would ask you to do these necessary things, and if you do these things, you'll do well. So first off, they declare in their letter here, and I think this is just an interesting note we should look at, is that they said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Now, separate from our main theme of the message here today, I think this is great, and we shouldn't just gloss over this. This should be our aim, in fact, that we could have such confidence and connection with the Holy Spirit that we could discern things in this simple way. Often in the life of a believer, it seems we labor to discern the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I think it's because we make it too difficult, we complicate things, or sometimes it's the result of a life that's just not bathed in prayer, and we're not in tune with the leading of the Spirit. And and I think it's so cool here to see these leaders who are so in tune with the Lord and the Spirit that they could with confidence say, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit, that they could just sense that through their time and prayer and confirmation from other people. And perhaps I make more of it than I should, but I want for us to be a people that when making a decision, we consider the person of the Holy Spirit just a natural part of that decision-making process. That we would consider what would the Spirit desire here, and that when we arrive at that place where we say it seems good to the Spirit, that we would proceed in such a way. And so that's what they were doing here. They were under the conviction of the Spirit, And secondly, then, they state in this letter that they lay no greater burden than necessary on these Gentile believers. Of course, the debate was over whether or not they should be brought under the law, and we see the decision that they make there. But but this kind of goes a step further in terms of not being a burden to believers when it comes to their walk with the Lord. This is the crux of the message in many respects. Christianity should not be, nor is it, a burden. The world often thinks that it is, however. That to be a Christian is to stop having fun, to be forced to commit to a bunch of rules and regulations. And, you know, sadly, the church and even misguided believers at times have legitimized that false belief. We start to lay on new believers that they need to do this and they need to do that. And quite frankly, that's our society too, is it not? That to solve a problem, you create a law, you tax it, you regulate it. 
we need this to happen. And so we're going to ensure that it happens by forcing everybody to do this, this, and this. And that belief has oftentimes made its way into the church. But it's so important for us to remember that you can't force, regulate, or legislate the fruit of the Spirit in a believer's life. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. These are the result of the Spirit working in an individual's life, in the life of a believer. And you know, sometimes I desire to see a change in someone's life. And some of you too, maybe you've been in a discipleship relationship and you want to see that change and you want to just make it happen. You want to put these rules and regulations or stipulations in place. You want to force it to happen. And sometimes you have to take a step back and maybe within the context of that relationship, you're able to point something out. But from there, you need to just trust the Spirit to work, to pray for them and allow the Spirit to work in their lives, to see that fruit happen. You know, this is the way in which change happens in the lives of the believers. And so I do think that the leaders here were sensitive to this as they were laying out these things, that they didn't want to put any great burden on these believers, but rather to say, here's some things that are necessary for you to consider. That to do these, you will do well, to keep peace amongst the brethren. But to then trust that the Holy Spirit was going to continue to work in their lives to bring the fruit, to align them then with the Word of God. They didn't want to be a burden to these believers But they also understood, though as Gentile believers, they weren't required to come under the law, as Jewish believers, they weren't required to abandon the law. There were still convictions that they had within the law that were good, that they felt convicted in their own lives. And so there needed to be some compromise and understanding. There were some principles that they could put in place that would keep peace amongst the brethren. There was understanding to be had, and and that's the way we should consider one another. That's what we need to seek within the family of believers, that we would understand one another, that we would consider one another, that we wouldn't burden one another with the law or with legalism, but rather that we'd serve one another through the law of love. And so the things that they asked of them were to abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, things strangled, and sexual immorality. All four of these were rooted in the laws from Leviticus 17 and 18. And really, by the letter of the law, they don't have a ton of cultural relevance for us today. These were things and practices that we don't necessarily see very often, but the heart is still there. The first three had to do with their eating habits, abstaining from things offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled. It was meat, the first one, meat that was offered to an idol or even meat that wasn't butchered properly according to kosher law or according to the law of Moses. At this time, any meat being sold in the markets would likely have been sacrificed to an idol first. And whatever remained then would be available for purchase in the market. It was a way to generate income back into the temple. Or some would even bring their own animal sacrifice and a portion of that meat would be taken and they'd take the rest home and they could have a feast. And so they were being encouraged here. They were being asked to abstain from eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols, that this was a particular point of contention for the Jewish believers that, quite frankly, the Gentile believers didn't think a thing about. And they were encouraged to abstain from this. Don't eat it. If it wasn't butchered in the proper manner, so long as you could determine that, that you could understand that, then try and abstain from that. And then they referenced here sexual immorality. This was the fourth thing that they had asked for. And this consideration here or requirement was not quite as it had sounded. 
This had to do specifically with the intermarrying of family members or those of close relation. You see, it would have been understood to all of them that basic sexual immorality was wrong. It wasn't that the Gentile believers thought that they could just go do whatever they wanted. They understood what was being taught, what was being expected. They had the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It was specifically the intermarrying of essentially family members that the Gentile believers at this time wouldn't have thought wrong, that the Jewish believers thought, you can't do that, and that's going to drive us crazy if you do. And so they were asked specifically about these four things. But what's important to note here is that each of these things, as I've sort of already alluded to, would have been fine for the Gentile believer to do. It wasn't that the Word of God, even as we have it today, specifically calls these things out and says, you can't do this, this is wrong. And so as Gentile believers, not under the law, this wouldn't have been something that was expressly expected of them. They weren't widely accepted moral laws that were rooted in Scripture. These were things that the Gentile believers wouldn't have necessarily had a problem with. And they were asked to adjust. They were asked to live differently. They were asked to do something different, not for the sake of the law, but for the sake of their brethren. In fact, they could have said, no, this isn't fair. Or, you know, they could have put up some sort of protest as to, well, you know, there's all this good meat out there in the market. Why can't we go take advantage of it? Why can't we eat it? But they didn't. In fact, verse 30 says, So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. You see, that's the important thing right there. It says that they rejoiced over its encouragement. They didn't view this as some sort of restriction on how they were to live their lives. No, they saw it as encouragement that the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ had been preserved that they weren't required under law to do specific things, to come under the law of Moses, to be circumcised. And they didn't mind then the idea that they would adjust some things in their lifestyle, though they didn't necessarily have to for the sake of their Jewish brethren. Now remember, the things that were rooted in the law are still good. It wasn't that these were practices that they shouldn't have even been encouraged to do. The leaders in encouraging them of these things was a positive thing, but the reality is they weren't burdened by it. And in the same way, we as believers today should have this same approach to things. When convictions are put before us, when people maybe exhort us to certain things, not in an attempt to bring us under the law, but when we are made aware of ways in which we can encourage the brethren, though it may at times require sacrifice on our part, we should receive it with joy, understanding that we have the opportunity there to come alongside and encourage a believer in their walk. They didn't say, well, I don't have to live this way because of these other people. Why? Why didn't they say that? Because they had love for one another. You know, it's interesting. Paul addresses this idea of meat offered to idols elsewhere in the Word. Some of you may have already been thinking about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says in chapter 8, verse 1, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through him for whom we live. 
However, there is not in everyone that knowledge, for some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. You see, I can look at this, I can take this, and I can say, ha, I can eat meat. I can eat this meat. I can go and I can buy that awesome tri-tip down at the market that I know was offered to the idol because I've got liberty to do so. But I could say because of this, well, I can go and I can buy that New York strip because you know what? It's the best place to get that New York strip. Man, it's perfect. I could do that. I could justify that in some way, shape, or form. But I could say, you know what? I serve the one true God. They sacrifice it to idols. Idols don't even exist. What is an idol? I know the one true God. I serve the one true God. This is just a piece of meat. I'm going to eat it. I'm not a sinner because of that. I'm not suddenly worshiping idols because I grilled this hamburger. You see, this is the gist of what Paul's trying to get at here is he's encouraging others. We're not better or we're not worse because we say, well, I'd eat this or I don't eat this. And you know what? We would be right in that way. Paul even suggests that if you're eating the meat that may have been sacrificed to idols, that you don't even ask about it. You don't make it a thing. Don't even make it a thing so that your conscience is clear because in reality, it doesn't matter anyhow. So don't even worry about it. Just eat the meal and be thankful for it. But here's the problem. You see, as we consider legalism and grace and liberty, you know, we look at these situations and we say yes, because you know what? We love our liberty, don't we? Sometimes a little too much. You know, I heard one pastor talking about, especially as Americans, I mean, we just love our liberty. Don't you touch my liberty. Don't you touch my freedom. I get to do what I want to do. This is America. You know, and sometimes that even creeps into our faith, our walk with the Lord, to where we can take some of these same principles and say, see, we are free in Christ. And yes, we are. But what does Paul go on to say in this same passage? But if you jump ahead to verse 9, he says, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Verse 12, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. You see, Paul does such a good job of hooking you, and then all of a sudden, bam, he's got you, right? Because earlier we're like, yeah, yeah, I don't need to worry. I am free in Christ to do this or to do that. Yeah, you are. But what's the effect that it's having on other people? You see, once again, bringing us back to the family of believers. You know what? Many of us are going to say, praise God, we don't all go back to the same house after church, right? you've got a little bit of buffer, right? And so that does allow for a little bit, you know, it goes on in your house. God's always watching, okay? God's there. The Holy Spirit goes with you everywhere. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead is within you, okay? So you're taking that spirit everywhere. And so, you know, be mindful of that. But the reality is, yeah, you get a little bit of a break, you know? So you love meat. Somebody else is a vegetarian. You can go home and you can eat meat and you can do so with a clean conscience. But truly, it's bigger than that, is it not? It's much bigger than whether we eat meat or we eat vegetables. It's about an understanding of what each individual is going through. And the question then becomes, as a family of believers, do we know that? Do we know what every individual is going through, what they're struggling through, what their convictions are? 
Are we in tune enough? Are we in fellowship enough that we have that understanding that then we can walk alongside one another and build one another up and encourage one another? Are we at a place? Is this your heart today? That just like Paul, that you will say, if that causes my brother to stumble, I will never do it again. Or are you so tied to it that you say, no, but I want this in my life. Yes, we have liberty. But if our liberty causes another to stumble, then we need to be considering that. Are we willing to then give that up? Are we willing to be an example, a leader? Are we exercising our liberty such that we're causing a brother or sister to stumble? In verse 32, back in Acts chapter 15, we read, Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. You see, it was their aim as they went out and they came to minister to these Gentile believers. They wanted to strengthen them, to build them up, to encourage them. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. It was their hearts to stay with them, to encourage the brethren, to disciple them, to strengthen them. Christian, we have great freedom in Jesus Christ. We do. And God forbid we'd ever be brought back under the law. And we should praise him for the freedom that we have. But we should never allow our freedom to outweigh our love for one another. Going back to Paul's letter to the Galatians in chapter 5, you see we've had this, these parallels going on throughout as we can see some of what Paul was addressing in his letter versus what was kind of happening in the bigger picture within Acts here. In Galatians chapter 5, in verse 1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And so we have to look at them. We have to say, you know, in all this talk of I can eat meat and even if you don't want to eat meat, the reality is even that argument can take us down a path where we're going towards legalism, right? And so we have to maintain, we have to stand fast, therefore, in the understanding that we've got freedom in Christ, we've got liberty in Christ because it's about Him and Him alone. Not about anything else that we have to do, not about the law, not about things that are required for us to be saved, but rather... I believe in Jesus Christ and for the forgiveness of my sins. And so we've got to stand firm on that. It's about faith, not about the law. Don't be entangled by the law, Paul says. It profits you nothing. Stand firm in your liberty, knowing that you're justified by faith. But once again, don't let your liberty outweigh your love, because as we see, he goes on to write in verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see how simple it then becomes? And that's the call to us today. That's the exhortation to us today. All this talk about law, all these things that we should do or we can't do or we can do, but maybe it's not good. It can all become pretty confusing. It can become overwhelming. And Paul simplifies it beautifully by reminding us that the law, all of this debate is simplified in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we live in a culture today where 
even our own self-perceptions are pretty distorted, right? We live in a culture where suicide is on the rise. And so when we see that, we think, well, that's not self-love. That's different than what we've ever seen before. Typically, there's a self-absorption that goes on. That's been you know, relevant in our culture for a long time, but now we see this distortion. But the reality is it's still about self. It's just a distorted view of self, and there's a perceived solution to deal with the problems of self. You see, self is still very much the focus in our culture today. And so when it says love your neighbor as yourself, the reality there for us is that what's created within us is a desire to preserve self, to take care of self, to ensure that we are okay and that we have what we need. And so the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself is to put your neighbor on the same level as you, to consider them in the same way. And so we as a family of believers, if we truly adopt that mindset, then all of these things and all of the debates that can come from it should easily pass away when we just simply consider, what does my neighbor need? What does my brother or sister need? Are they struggling in their walk with the Lord? Why? Why are they struggling? Have I somehow contributed to that? And like Paul, far be it that I should ever cause you to stumble again. Is that our heart? Do we love one another enough to know one another? to encourage one another, to support one another. Isn't it great that our salvation is made so simple, so accessible? That's God's grace and mercy. There's nothing more we need to do but believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And then from there, allow the Spirit to work in our lives, that we would then through that grow in love for one another and walk alongside each other in this journey of faith. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about how much we want to be the church. And, you know, Pastor Bobby and I talk about this all the time, not that we are in any way, shape, or form better than another church, but we understand and we see and we experience on a regular basis the love that we have here. And sometimes we get to remind people of that. When people are stuck in a situation and feeling convicted or you're feeling really just, you know, the enemy has a foothold of reminding them, you know what? You're amongst a family of believers who are experiencing the same things. And we love one another. This is the heart of what they were trying to accomplish here is to get this new church, this new idea, this new concept that Jesus had come to institute. Jews and Gentiles alike coming together in one faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That they were working through this dynamic. Figure out, how do we figure out how to be a family together? Let's consider one another and let's love one another as we love ourselves. Amen? That's the call to us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, there's such power in your word, such wisdom, such application, Lord, for our daily lives. And Lord, I pray here anything today, Lord, that it wouldn't be about debates about what we have liberty for and what we don't, what the disciples and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem could have asked of the Gentile believers and what they didn't, or we know that they were spirit-led. And those things which were asked of the church at that time and the things that they were asked to consider, to do well in considering, were, were about being considerate of one another. And so, Lord, help us in that work still today. Lord, to be considerate of one another, to know each other well enough as brothers and sisters in the Lord, that we would know where individuals struggle, the things we face, what may be a product of our past, Lord, that's still there, but it's just a tough thing for us, Lord, to change or to adjust to. Lord, that we would have such communion, such fellowship with one another, Lord, such love that, Lord, we know that and that we would seek to be sensitive to that. 
Lord, ultimately help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. That this body of believers at Calvary Chapel Northeast would, to the extent that we are able, within our flesh, Lord, to love one another as we love ourselves. Lord, that you would be pleased by that. That we could be an example of what it means to walk alongside one another. In liberty, yes, but ultimately showing one another grace and love, Father. And so do that work in our hearts, I pray. May we in our own way, Lord, say thank you for all that you do for us, Lord, and seek that your Spirit would do this work in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.